What happens when your worst fear becomes your reality? Hi, I'm Brent Cassidy. Welcome to the Nightmare Success In and Out Podcast, where we explore how to overcome your fears and nightmares to set yourself free. We're going to be exploring this topic with guys I was in Leavenworth with. We're going to talk about life before prison, life in prison, and life out of prison. These stories can be inspiring, sometimes sad. There's some humor, but hopefully you can come away with a nugget of something that will help you knock down some of the prisons you've built up in your own mind. Folks, today I've got Jeremy Gilmore with me, and uh, we were just talking about He's up in Kansas City, so we're staying in Missouri on this one. And uh, Jeremy, welcome. Welcome. How are you doing today, Brent? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for being on. I We were just talking about you got out. You got out of Leavenworth in 2019. What what was your date you got out? Um, I think January 3rd. Okay, January 3rd of 2019. Yeah. So we were there about a year together, maybe. Because mm-hmm. I, I think I got, I got out at the end of uh, 2016. You said you were there for about four years. So we, we, we intersected for about a year. Yeah. And like you were saying, there were some changes that happened when the new warden came in that was right when I was leaving. And one of the things we were talking about that was odd was is that Leavenworth was one of those odd prisons where when you were in a minimum camp, you were supposed to be wearing green khakis. And for some reason, Leavenworth was just everybody just wore the regular khakis, the tan khakis. And so the new warden came in. You said they just wiped all that out and everybody got new clothes. Yeah, we did that. I was working at laundry at that time. Oh, man. <laughs> that would have been the one time. I mean, that that changes the whole world at that time, doesn't it? When everybody yeah. turns their stuff in. Yeah. We, was, we stayed busy. They had us all uh in the gymnasium, they brought all the new green khakis in, and uh, you would just come in. The CO would uh, measure you and hand you the pants, and would come around in a little circle, and we'd just cut the pants off to what length you wanted. <laughs> and, uh, then you'd have to come down to the laundry and get them hemmed up. All right, so there was some hemming going on. Yeah, so we we uh put that little sewing machine to use down oh, there. Oh man, I bet you did. Wow. Wow. That is quite, um, that's some prison activity right there. <laughs> that 400 some odd guys getting new clothes. Yes. And you were right there, Jeremy. So, so Jeremy, tell me, have you always, uh, growing up, did you grow up in Kansas city? No, I grew up in uh, Aurora, Missouri. Aurora. Outside. Yeah. Yeah. Southwest Missouri. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I'm from. Springfield, Springfield, Missouri. Yeah. I was just down there seeing my dad. I just got back. Down in Southwest Missouri. Yeah. Yeah. So what was life, what was life like growing up down in, in that part of the country and growing up as a kid? Oh, it was good. I, uh, I always did a lot of hunting and fishing. Yeah. So on weekends and stuff and, I'd always, you know, I'd always have a gun in my truck and cruising the back road, shooting coyotes or whatever, and going to the ponds and fishing all the time. 
So just hunting and fishing. And, and so do you have siblings? I got one sister. Okay. Older, younger? Uh, she's older. Okay. About maybe a year and a half, two years older than I am. Okay. And mom yeah. and dad, what was what was life with mom and dad back then? Oh, uh, it was good, you know. Uh, raised good. Uh, never really got in trouble. Yeah. So you're, so so you had a good, so you had a good upbringing. High school, what was that like? Well, I I dropped out of school about I think tenth grade. Okay, and went to work, and uh, so I would always stay working. My cousin and them owned a uh, furniture store. Okay, so I went to work at him. So you went to work at the furniture store. Yes, yeah, I would. Uh, I do their delivery when I turned 16. Then, uh, so I stayed busy doing that. Then they had, uh, they ran the airport out there in Aurora. Okay. So I, uh, started getting my pilot's license. Okay. But I never, uh, I never did finish it, you but, know. But you could get the plane up in the air. Could you land it? Yeah. 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 Wow. I've always thought that'd be cool to have your pilot license. Yeah. So, so Jeremy, tell me like when you did that, when you dropped out of school, uh, 10th grade, was there other friends that you had that were dropping out? Did it feel weird that you weren't in school or did it just seem like, no, I'm going to go to work? Yeah. I just done to go to work. I, I pretty much, I never really had a whole lot of friends going to school and stuff. I was more, you know, just, hung around one or two people. I never was into a big group of people, you know? So if I had five people around, that was too many. <laughs> that goes back to the hunting and fishing thing. That makes sense yeah. now. You don't yeah. need a lot of people to do that. Uh-uh. Okay. So you, so you did, you, you got into to doing some flying. The, the family was around, the, ran the airport part of things, right? Is what you're, t- what you're saying? You, yeah. You, and um, so lead me into where did Jeremy get into a problem? Oh, man, let's see. I was probably. Or how did it happen? I think I might have been 17, 18 or so. Yeah. And just started running around with a group of people. Then they. uh introduced me to meth and uh i started using it and so i could stay up you know a couple days at a time and i thought that was great you know so i just started hanging out with more and more of them and quit doing the things i like to do so you kind of felt like you fell into a hole that the things that you were doing that you like to do you slipped into the whole meth world hanging out with the people that were doing that did you did you learn how to because you know earlier on this uh, few podcasts ago Mark Glover you know his story is you know he got into that it was introduced to it and then he got to cooking it and then he was just kind of a, a slope that it, is that kind of what happened with you? No, I was just pretty much just a user. Okay, yeah. never got into figuring out like Breaking Bad how to cook all that stuff. No, 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 I never did that. So, so did you hang in with this group? Uh, you're getting addicted to meth because it's very addictive. Yes. So then what happens? 
And uh, I ended up getting in trouble in uh, Monette, Missouri. Okay. The guy I was uh, buying drugs off of, he called me one night and uh, he asked me, hey, can you come over and uh, give me some of them drugs back? And I said, okay. And I went over there and he had some girl there and I ended up selling him back the drugs that I bought off of him earlier and she was an undercover cop. Wow. So it was a whole, so, it was just a whole setup. Yeah. So, I mean, they so called, they called you, Jeremy and said, Hey, yeah. can you come back over here and, and sell us the drugs that we sold you? Yeah. Oh man. And that was, I was probably, man, I don't know. I might've been 18, 19 men. Okay. And so, uh, then that was, uh, then I ended up going to state prison over that. Okay. Then uh, I violated my pro or probation and ended up doing a year and a half in the state prison. How much time did they that. originally give you, Jeremy, on the on that charge? Uh, I think it was a five-year sentence. Okay. Then uh, if, if you- I would have walked probation down, I, it would have went off my, uh, it's like an SIS sentence. Yeah. Suspended imposition, uh, so the, uh, so in the state side of things, if you're a first time offender at five years, do you serve ten months? How, how is that? I served uh, close to a year and a half. Okay, but that was that was after you violated the probation part, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Your first sentence, though, did you go in and did like you had so many months of the five years? Is that how that worked? Well, that. In that case, uh, I got put on uh, probation for. Oh, you just got up. Oh, I see what you're saying. I'm sorry. I, I got confused. So you got put yeah. on probation, and it was a five-year probation, and they, they, they then you violated the probation. Yeah. Got yeah. it. Got it. Yeah. All right. I'm slow yeah. here, folks. I'm catching up. <laughs> <laughs> I got it now. Okay. So, yeah. so, so the violation, what was the violation? Back into... Well, I got a violation. I owned a, uh, a taxidermy shop. Okay. There in Aurora. And uh, they violated me with uh, five counts of possession of illegal wildlife. Really? For a deer and velvet, uh, mountain river otter, and uh, just a couple deer horns I had that didn't have tags on them. I mean, Jeremy, is that very common? That- <laughs> I mean, no. that doesn't even sound like, I mean, I, I, how do you even know? Of, I don't know. I, I've, that's such an unfamiliar world to me. Does a guy come into your shop and say, hey, by the way, you can't have these animals? Yeah, well, they, it was. Uh, I mean, how would I anybody would, ever know? Well, the uh, one of the cops there in uh, Monette, he owned a taxidermy shop. Okay. He just ran it, out, ran it out of his house. So he was kind of competition? Yeah, yeah. I had then I had a big shop there in Aurora. You know, I had a big shop with the front end was a big display. Then I had my working shop in the back. Okay, and it's two different schools for it. So I mean, I had probably seventy or eighty animals in my showroom. You know, Jeremy, I got to ask you this though: How did you learn how to do that? I mean, I've always been fascinated by that whole thing because. I mean, how does someone know, how do you know you're good at that? And then how do you learn to do that? 
Well, I went to two different schools for it. I went to a school in uh, Brookfield, Missouri, and that school was, uh, I think it was nine weeks. And then I ended up staying up there with the guys that was teaching it. I probably stayed up there, man, probably close to a year. Wow. I, uh, we pulled a, uh, a fifth wheel trailer up there and I parked beside his shop and I would, I'd help him out. Wow. So then that- after that, I went back to Aurora and, uh, got my business license and started it down there. And uh, Jeremy, how old would you have been in this time period? Man. Early twenties. Yeah. Probably early twenties. Yeah. Yeah. So you start this whole business taxidermy, uh, you get probation and then your competition happens to be a guy that's in, the, um, he's was law, he, law enforcement. <laughs> I get, I guess he knew that. I mean, that sounds like, <laughs> kind of sounds like another setup though. Yeah. I mean, I had, I had shot, I had turkey and beer at all the Walmarts, every yeah. little store around and everything. Okay. So how does this happen? They come into your shop and say, Hey, uh, we've been told that you've got things that you're not supposed to have. And who, who, well, who, who comes, who comes in there? I was, I was out there on the farm working on the farm. Okay. And my dad called me and said, Hey, uh, what's all the cops doing at your shop? I said, I don't know. And he goes, well, they're all down there. You need to go check it out. So I left. I got off the combine and uh, got in my truck and went down to my shop. And as soon as I got there, they arrested me. They handcuffed me and threw me in the cop car. No questions. No questions. And I'm like, man. Did you know what was going on? I mean, did it make any sense at all? It made no sense. And so they said uh, they had, I think, the, all the game wardens around from one, like, man, five or seven counties around. And uh, they had all my stuff outside in the on the road taking pictures of it. And uh, they put it in the front paper, in Aurora paper, for like three weeks straight on the front page of just saying stuff about it. And they took probably 90% of everything that was in my shop Good. and they even went to my house and took, took all my animals, you know, then, uh, Oh, Jeremy, what so was they, it again that you weren't supposed to have in the shop? Well, I had a deer horn in velvet. Okay. That I, then, uh, a river otter I mounted and, uh, they set a bobcat, but I had a tag for it and just some random deer horns. I just had, just in my shop that didn't have a tag on him. Wow. I've never heard a story like that, Jeremy. That, I mean, this is a first. I have never heard anything like this. So, yeah. so this is a big, this is big news in Aurora. Yes. It was a big deal. Okay. So you, you get taken away. Uh, they throw you in the County jail, I guess. And then they're saying, Hey, by the way, that's a violation of your probation. Well, I, I bonded out that same day. It okay. was only like maybe like $150 bond. Okay. So the bond wasn't nothing, but then I bonded out. Then they ended up 
violate my probation because of that. And, and how long was it until you found out that they were going to take that as a violation of your probation? When you now bonded out to when they came back and said, hey, by the way, you're coming back with us. I don't know. It's been so long ago. Uh, it was it was quite a while. Was it? I had, with that five-year probation, I had, I'd done four and a half years of walking clean. Wow. So I had six months left. Oh, Jeremy, old. man. Good <laughs> Lord. Oh, no what a terrible story. So, I mean, you you got four and a half years on a five-year probation deal. These guys come in, they take basically everything in your store. Everything. And then they come back to you and say, we're, we're taking you back into the state prison for a year and a half of time you got to serve. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right, Jeremy, tell me, because, you know, you and I have been in the federal prison. Can, can you give me a little bit of insight to the difference between the state and federal, how you, you know, Going into state, and then what your thoughts are about the state? Compare what's the comparison? Well, when I got to the state, as soon as I got there, they uh, they line you up down this hallway, they strip you down butt naked, so you're just standing there naked. Then they throw you in the showers, and they got this looks like a bug sprayer. Okay. So they spray, they spray you down, then you just stand over to the wall for like a five minutes. Then you can rinse off, and then they give you a set of clothes. Then they give you a bedroll and stuff. Then they uh, send you to a unit. And so uh, it was like a diagnostic center. Wow. How so many How there, many guys were you with when you lined up on that? Was that a big line of uh, you guys or just one or two guys? Uh, that was all the people from Lawrence County that went up there with me. There was like, I'd probably say six or seven of us. Okay. We got there, there was a bus leaving. So they just had us stripped down naked on the wall while they was loading that bus. And there was probably, i say over 100 people, you know. So we just had a set there. And oh. I was like, man. Man, how dehumanizing. <laughs> yes. Oh, and, man. Uh, so what? I sat there at that diagnostic center. I don't even know how long. But uh was locked down 23 hours a day there. You know, so trying to get out and take a shower and get on the phone is like impossible. Well, that almost sounds like being but, in the hole. Yeah, yeah. 23 hours a day. Then what did you get to do when you were the hour? Uh, you could you could take a shower or watch TV or use the phone. And then your 23-hour place, uh-huh. What? how big are we talking about? You, were talk, you live in a closet? Yeah, it's. Yeah, it's about the size of the, you know, the little cells that we had there in Leavenworth. Okay, and kind of an 8 by 10 cell. Yeah. 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 That doesn't sound good. How long How long did you have to do the 23 to 1? Yeah. Uh, uh, and that doesn't sound like a good entry to prison. Half to two months, though, maybe. How long? Half to two months. Two months? Probably a month and a half to two months. Okay. Yeah. Then so, I got transferred to uh, Boonville. Okay. Into to a prison, and then there, it got a lot easier because then you could stay out all day, and you could buy a TV if you wanted. Okay. And you could just sit back, watch your own TV shows, and not have to worry about someone getting a remote or trying yeah. to find a station. 
that. <laughs> Remotes. That's 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 a big deal in prison. You yeah. Have to watch what everybody, uh, whoever has the remote, wants to watch. Yes. So did it? Um, so you went there for a year and a half, and you were in Boonville. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You get out. Uh, yeah. You go back to Aurora. No, I got uh, moved to Kansas City with my uncle. Okay. Then uh, I think that was in '04. Okay. Then uh, he owns a cabinet shop, so I started helping him build a cabinet there. Then uh, when I got out, he had a buddy that was hanging Christmas lights, and he wanted to know if I wanted to help. And I said, yeah, I'll do that. So uh, his buddy had a couple little ladders, and uh, we'd go around hanging Christmas lights. But he'd always borrow ladders from everybody to do that. And so after a couple houses, I was like, man, I'll just buy my own ladder. Yeah. So I ain't got to worry, about it, you know? Yeah. So I ended up buying two ladders after I made enough money helping him. Then I just, uh, I helped him that one year. Then the next year I was like, man, I'll just do that myself. So I bought these little flyers that you can order off, offline that you just like little broad cell signs. Mm-hmm. And I made a, a, a thing said Santa's elves hang your Christmas lights with my phone number on it. And I just drove around town, just sticking them everywhere. And man, I had so many people calling, and uh, I did good. At that I did real uh, good. At yeah, there's pretty good money in that, and there, Jeremy, with hanging yeah, the Christmas lights. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you you, so you, the, you kept the job too on helping make of the cabinets. Yeah, I, I did that for a while. Then I went and joined the union, the union carpenters union. Okay. Then. Uh, so I would stay busy with the union during the summer. Then from October, November, December, and January, I would take, I'd volunteer layoff so I could just hang the Christmas lights. Cause I'd make more, more money hanging Christmas lights than I was at my union job. Right. Yeah. So, and that's something I could do by myself. So you're rolling along, you're doing cabinets, you're hanging Christmas lights. How in the world did you end up? with me at Leavenworth. Then when I, uh, when I was working the union, I ran across this guy and, uh, he was doing meth. Then, then, uh, I just started using again. Then, uh, he'd help me hang Christmas lights and we would just stay up, just put Christmas lights on and do meth all the time. Then I just started running around with him, and I ended up catching a conspiracy case up in St. Joe. In St. Joe. So how did it, you know, it's crazy how you you were just basically, I'm sure, you know, when you're doing that meth, you could probably hang a lot of Christmas lights. Yeah, we we stayed busy, you know. (laughs) So, So, Jeremy... Kind of walk me through that. You ended up in a conspiracy case. You're a user. You're not selling, right? So you're 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 getting addicted to meth again. How, how does this happen for you? How do how do you, how do you get around the people that they say you're in a conspiracy with? Well, I got because 
at the time I was driving a, a 05 Hummer, H2 Hummer. Mm-hmm. And so I would, I would go, the guy that I was with, he lived in Kansas City, but we ended up going to St. Joe to buy the drugs. Then sometimes we'd go up there, then they didn't have them. Then they'd be like, hey, give me the money and I'll just go get them for you over okay. in Kansas. And I, oh, I ain't doing that. Right. You know, I, uh, I'll drive over there or I'll take you over there. And so they said, okay, just take me over there. So they got my vehicle and we drove across state lines to Kansas. And I'd buy my drugs and they'd buy theirs and I'd bring them back to St. Joe. And so they ended up getting caught. And and so when they got caught, they just started telling on everyone that they was selling drugs to. Mm-hmm. And and then when they ran my name, they seen my prior thing from way back. Yeah. And they thought, oh, he's driving a nice vehicle. Yeah. He's got to be doing something. Yeah. You know. There's an easy layup. But, easy assumption. Yeah. Easy layup. Yeah. But I never got caught with nothing. Never. And anything. And I think think that's one of those things, Jeremy, that a lot of people don't understand. You know, uh, James Borders was talking about he got wrapped up in a conspiracy with people naming names. And, uh, man, that is a – that's a world you don't want to get into because you – first of all, you don't really have any rights to the fact that their name and your name – once they put that umbrella on you as a conspiracy, then if you want to go to trial, you have to not defend you. You have to defend the conspiracy of the people that are doing the stuff that are telling on you. So it's, it's the whole conspiracy thing that the federal government uses is, is a, is an umbrella that nobody understands how much power it has because there's hardly any way to defend against the conspiracy because to win the conspiracy, you have to prove that the people that might be doing something they shouldn't be doing, uh, you have to prove their case. Yes. So you get wrapped up in that, uh, and what do they come to you and say, hey, Jeremy, we got you on such and such charges. They've named you in this, and you're in this conspiracy. What's your thoughts? I couldn't believe it. I'm like, there ain't no way they can do anything to me because I'm like, man, I never, I never got caught with nothing or anything. So how can you charge me for something I didn't do? You know, right? And uh, and you're not selling the drugs. You you want the drugs? Yeah. 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 That's. What I'm I said I was just buying drugs. So how can you arrest me or get me for distribution if I just buying drugs? You know. So. uh they picked me up, then they took me to, I think, Kansas City, Kansas, the best we did. Then I sat there for a day or two until they took me to court. And then uh, I went through the court system, and the judge came in, and they gave me a lawyer. And so uh, they let me back out, you know, with that lawyer. Yep. So then he was like, okay, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I don't want to plead to nothing because I didn't, I didn't do nothing wrong. I didn't think. Yep. And so he said, okay. And so he was my lawyer for, I think maybe a week or two. Then he called me up and said, Hey, I need you to come into my office. 
I said, okay. So I went to his office. Then he's like, hey, I'm going to have to drop your case because one of my other clients is part of that conspiracy. So he can't represent me with them. Right. So I had to go back to court. Then they gave me another lawyer. And it was a woman lawyer. She just started the federal federal law. She was a, I think she was a state, I think like a divorce attorney yeah. or something. Not familiar with the world of what you were dealing with. She didn't have no clue on it. So you get a, a young newbie attorney in a case of conspiracy for drugs. Yes. Ugh, Jeremy. So I, I was first federal client, you know? So I'm like, man. Then she's like, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, I ain't pleading guilty to nothing. So she said, so you want to go to trial? And I said, yeah, I'll go to trial over it. And so I was out on pretrial release for a year and a half or more. Yeah. It, they just kept postponing it, postponing it. Yep. And she, and every time I'd go see her, she said, hey, we can't find no records of you doing anything. So, and I, she goes, I looked through the proper book and all this and that. Your name never comes up and nothing. So she said, you could go to trial, get 10 years, or plead and get 10 years. I said, well, I ain't pleading, so we'll just go to trial. Mm-hmm. So I ended up going to trial, and the, my trial lasted two weeks. Okay. So uh, every day I'd get up, we'd go to the courthouse there in Kansas for two weeks. Then uh, I think the jury took – no, at trial, then all them people that – that told on me, they all came and testified. Right. They were your witness. They were witnesses against you. So they were getting yeah. a, they were getting a better deal by going to trial and, and saying things against you. Yeah. yeah. And they all, I don't know how the government does, it, but I think they rehearsed all of them because every one of them had the same story. You know, it was just like they was reading it from a book. Well, they, they do coach those witnesses and they're allowed to, and they're also allowed to give them time. You know, they always talk about, you know, this balance of justice. The The federal system, they're allowed to go to somebody and say, hey, if you say this and you do this and cooperate with us, we can do a lot of help for you. You, you can almost maybe we'll even think about probation, but you have to say these things for that to work. And then those become the witnesses against you. Yeah. Yeah. And there was, there was probably two or three of them that I never even seen before that testified on me. And I was like, man, I don't even know them, mm. but it took, like I said, it was about a two week trial and it took the jury not very long to come back that I was guilty. And so as soon as they found me guilty, the, I guess the marshals that was in the courthouse, they, uh, grabbed a hold of me and handcuffed me and took me to the holding cell. Were you, you know? were your parents involved in watching and seeing all this or how, how what was going on at that time? Yeah, my mom was there. Uh, they wouldn't let her in the courthouse or in the, uh, the courtroom during my trial. My grandma was there. She was in the, she could go to the, in there and listen to the whole trial, but they wouldn't let my mom for some reason. 
And so when they handcuffed me, I was trying to give my mom a hug and stuff. And they're like, oh, you can't touch them. Mm. And I'm like, hey, you know. And so they ended up taking me to what, Leavenworth or to CCA. CCA, which is a private prison. They hold prisoners, which is not a good place to be, to try to figure out where to take you and what to do with you. And some people stay there a short time. Some people stay there a long time. Yeah. And it's in Leavenworth. Man, I probably stayed there. I probably stayed several months before I got a sentence date. What was that like, Jeremy? Because they're trying to shut down all those private prisons and the CCAs of holding, they're basically holding tanks. What what was your experience there? I mean, it was, again, they did probably six or seven counts a day, it seemed like. So you'd be out for, you know, an hour or two. Then you'd be locked back down for a count. Then then your pod could go outside, it seemed like, uh, an hour or so a day or whenever it was your turn. But a lot of times when it would be our pod's turn, something happened and they wouldn't let us out. Right, somebody did something wrong. I, I jumped ahead of you, though, Jeremy. I when the when the jury came back, what was your uh-huh. what was your sentence? Uh, they just found me guilty. And then you you you're waiting. And when did you go back to get sentenced? I think it was. was it, it might have been two or three months or more. And that's when you when were at CCA. What's that? And that's when you were at CCA. That's what you, they were holding you to wait for your sentencing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I got you. So, so when I got found guilty, we, uh, we fired that lawyer that I had and we hired these other lawyers from California to come do my sentencing. And so they came down and did my sentencing and that lawyer I had, when it was his turn to talk about me, he told the judge this. He said he ought to, the judge should do, I don't know, remember what he said. But the judge just told that lawyer, hey, you're stupid, and uh, this is what it's going to be. And they ended up uh, sentencing me to a life sentence. What? Yeah, they ended up sentencing me to a life sentence for, um, they 851 me on everything that they could. Can you explain the 851? I'm not really for sure what all that really consists of, but I think they used my prior convictions to um, enhance it, enhance my points, and then they enhanced it more points because I went to trial Mm -hmm. and uh, took away all your cooperation points. Yeah. And so the judge said, well, I can't, he can't get no better. It's a mandatory life sentence. And I'm like, damn, you know. Well, I mean, I Jeremy, what I mean, what are your, what's going through your head? <laughs> like I said, I was, I was speechless. I mean, I, I just like, can't damn. imagine. You decided, you, I mean, you decided, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to trial because I, I wasn't selling drugs. I might have been an addict, might have been an addict, yeah. but I, you know, so many people are. Meth is very addictive. Yeah. Uh, the judge throws you a life sentence. What, yeah. I mean, I just can't even imagine. I'm, what's, I mean, your, your head's got to be swirling, but what's, what's your first thoughts? Man, I was like, man, how am I going to do it? Yeah. You know, 
How am I going to do this? And so when they took me back, Jeremy, I got to tell I got to Jeremy, I got to tell you, I feel like such a pansy because <laughs> I, I was, I, I pled and I was, I had probation of five years and she gave me five years. And I mean, I, I, I felt like the, the air had been sucked out of me. I'm talking to a guy that went to trial and I love it when people won't go to trial because 97% of us plea and you went to trial. And then the result of that is, is they give you a life sentence. And I, I, I just, I mean, I can't even think, I can't even think what I would think in that type of situation because you aren't that guy. You're not a life yeah. sentence guy. I mean, what are you thinking? I are you thinking I'm going to find somebody and appeal this? Or are you thinking how am I going to? I mean, what what in the world goes through your head? Yeah, that's what that lawyer said. Well, we'll just appeal it and, and we'll just go from there. What was so, the deal with the okay. judge? Huh? What was the deal with the judge? I mean, I mean, you you weren't even you 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 weren't even caught with drugs. I know it. But that was just his little. You're in a conspiracy said, of. Yeah, but he says the federal system. That's how the federal system works. It ain't what he thinks. It's by the law book or something, and it's just mm. a mandatory sentencing. So first of all, it sounds like you got really bad uh, attorneys, and yeah. and that's that's a that's a given. Um, I, 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 these kind of stories are so riveting because I don't think people know that these things happen. You know, I don't think that, I think some people see, see things on TV and stuff and there might be one or two things where, you know, you, the, they might get a glimpse of something, but this kind of stuff is just takes your breath away. I mean, it just, it just, you know, it blows your, so Jeremy, I don't, I'm, I'm going, I'm kind of rambling. So you get a life sentence. What happens next? Then they, uh, throw me in the holding cell. Then when we, uh, left the courthouse, then they take us back to CCA. Then the bus then was in a van, probably, I don't know, there might've been four or six of us and about halfway back to the CCA, they said, uh, who's Gilmore? And I said, I am. He said, well, when we get off, you're going to have to stay here because you got to go to the hole. And I'm like, why do I got to go to the hole? Why can't I just go back to the pod right. where I've been at? Right. And they said, no, you can't because, because of your sentencing, we need to keep an eye on you. Wow. Cause they, yeah. they put you basically on suicide watch. Yeah. 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 So I sat there in the hole for, I don't know, maybe a week or so. And the counselor would come around. What's in the hole? You have like shower. You have, you have a shower. Do you have a, a toilet? Do you have a concrete slab to lay on? What What's in the hole? We had, uh, we had bunk beds in there in the toilet. The shower was down the hall. So okay. the cops would have to come and handcuff you and take you to the shower, I think. Okay. Every two days or every two or three days, yeah. they would do that. Are you with somebody in the hole? Yes. Okay. Yeah. What was that like? Uh, it was a 
it was an Indian dude, and he just is nasty. Yeah. You know, he's probably on suicide so watch did. too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was top bunk and I just stayed up there. You know, I didn't read or nothing. So I just pretty much just sat there and slept. Yeah. But every time that counselor would come by, I'd say, Hey, let me back out to the pod, you know? Mm-hmm. And so uh, then the, I think the warden came by and I talked to them. And uh, they ended up letting me out of the hole after a while back to the pod. Once they realized that you were okay, you weren't going to hurt yourself. Um, because everybody would assume that if I'm given a life sentence off a of conspiracy, then I'm, I'm, <laughs> I might want to kill myself. So that, that is, um, so you, you, you worked yourself out and you got yourself back to the pot. Yeah. Then I sat there. I don't know how long until they ended up. I think it was in the middle of the night. They said, pack your stuff. You're leaving. Then so, uh, I don't even think you can take nothing with you. Your paperwork or something, I think they might have did that, but all the other stuff that you accumulated over the time you was there, you just had to leave it with someone. So you just left. So I just left, yeah. So you packed up, you left, you don't know where you're going. Don't have a clue. When when we got down there to leave, then they'd tell you where you was going. Okay. No. No, they didn't there. There, they sent us to Oklahoma. Oh, you went to the transfer center. So wow. this is how crazy this is for the people listening. Jeremy is two and a half miles from Leavenworth. And they would have been very easy to drive. Is that where you were? You, you were at the CCA that was just two and a half miles from Leavenworth? Yeah. Yeah. So that's two and a half miles from Leavenworth because I, I actually went through that CCA when I had to go to the county or the my civil trial. I have, We went through there, dropped somebody off. It's about two and a half miles. They took you from the CCA to Oklahoma, which is the transfer center of the United States. And you probably had to process through all of that junk. How long do you how long were you there at Oklahoma? I was probably there. Four to six weeks, I would say. And then you found out you're getting on the bus, and they don't know where you're, you don't know where you're going. Well, when I left Oklahoma, uh, they told me I was going to USP Macquarie. Okay. In Kentucky, so they, uh, you know how they got the plane that flies right up, like right up there. So they board us up, they shackle us, yeah, put us on the plane, then on our way to Kentucky, and. Uh, I think we made two or three stops at some other prisons or other locations, but I'm not really quite sure. But I know it was an all-day deal on that plane handcuffed. Shackled. Shackled. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jeremy, you get to Kentucky. Uh, It's a medium? No, it's a maximum security. Maximum security. So they walk you into a maximum security. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that is a wake up call because um, those are all scheduled moves and it's a different world. And there's some people mm-hmm. in there that you don't want to be around. Yeah. So, yeah, so I got there and uh, as soon as I got there, then I got scheduled a, a, a room or a unit. Then we got our, uh, after we got processed, they told us, Hey, go to, I think I was in 
like three house or something. And so I'd walk down the three house and when I'd stand there at the door and the CO would open it and I walked in, I had my bed row and stuff and all the Mexicans came up to me speaking Spanish. And I'm like, I don't speak Spanish. And they said, Oh, you white? And I said, Yeah, I'm white. And they, so all the white guys came up to me, want to know where I was from. Yeah. <laughs> Try so to I figure thought, out your tribe. Yeah, yeah. So I, I caught, I was from Missouri, but my, my number is the Kansas side, the Kansas number. So the Missouri guys said, okay, here we'll give you some shower shoes and you know, clothes to sleep in. Then they said, hey, we need you to get shower shoes up. is a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> And they, they said, uh, here's the envelope and a stamp. We need you to write the court and get your paperwork. We want to know what you're here for. Okay. And I said, okay, that ain't no problem. I told them a conspiracy case and they want to know how long. And I told them a life sentence. Mm. Then they, then they changed their mind. Okay. You know, apparently you didn't, you didn't tell them no. Obviously not. Right. Yeah. But I still went ahead and, uh, I think I called home, called my mom. And told her, hey, call the courthouse and have them send me my paperwork. So I got it three or four days. And so when your name gets called for mail there, they're all sitting around. Then they grab your paperwork and they say, hey, let's go to your room and check it out. So we'd all go in the room. Then they would open it up and read it, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, then after that, it was, you know anything you wanted or anything they would, yeah. you know, they treated different. So you're part of them then. Jeremy, I, I, I didn't know this part of your story. So this is just fascinating to me. So you're in a maximum. What's going on in the outside world trying to figure out your case? That's what I said. Then, uh, so we filed an appeal. Then they denied it. Then we filed, uh, I think we filed two, two of them and they denied both of them. Then I had a, a 2255 or no, when they, when they got denied, that lawyer that we hired never did send me paperwork, say anything. Okay. Then I got a letter in the mail from some law firm that said, Hey, look, we've seen that you're, direct appeal got denied we do uh 2255 and we'll be able to help you out and a 2255 for those listening is i guess just another appeal or something yeah this the 2255 it goes in front of the judge that sentenced you right so and so i looked at it and i'm like man i never knew my stuff got denied so Mm -hmm. i called mom and grandma and said hey look apparently my stuff got denied and I never got no word about it. Mm-hmm. So we hired this guy to do that 2255. And uh, I think it cost around $2,500 or something. Mm-hmm. Everyone said, oh, that's an ambulance chaser. That's just someone that's just going to take your money. Mm-hmm. I said, well, you know, I ain't got no other choice. Kind of like prison consultants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so we uh, did that. And I think it took I'm not really for sure how long but then I got a thing in the mail that said my 2255 got granted okay you'll be going to court okay 
And so I'm like, all right. Then they sent, sentenced me a court date. And so uh, I was waiting, and my court date was getting closer, and I'm like, man, they got to come pick me up, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, like three or four days before my court date, they never picked me up. I'm like, man, what's the deal? Then mm-hmm. I was well, maybe they'll just fly up here and just fly me straight there. Mm-hmm. And the day before my court date, still nothing. So then they sent me a paperwork saying that, here's my new lawyer, call him. So I called him and I said, Hey, I'm supposed to be in court tomorrow. What's the deal? He goes, Oh, we got to postpone. And you've built this all up in your mind that you're going. Okay. Yeah. Then, so they rescheduled it. I don't know, maybe a month or two. I'm not really for sure. Then, uh, and about a week before that, (coughs) then they, uh, came and picked me up so i had to go all the way back through the transit deal the oklahoma oh the, man <laughs> back oh. on the air back to cca all shackled up Tra- transfer yeah. i mean it's not fun to to travel as a prisoner there's nothing good about it <laughs> nothing nothing so i got sent back to cca then uh and sat there probably I don't know, maybe a week or so, or a couple of days. Then I went to court. Then they, uh, I think they just did one thing. Then they scheduled like a little trial thing for that my lawyer, then my old lawyer. Mm-hmm. As a hearing? A, and yeah, him mm-hmm. and then that girl lawyer. Okay. So then uh, that went on all day. Then after that, the judge said, hey, well, I'll make a ruling on it and I'll let you know. And so I think two days later, the same judge that sentenced me uh, found out that I received ineffective counsel. So he uh, told them, hey, I granted your 2255, so now you need to come back with what you think you deserve on a time. Okay. And so when we went back in there, that's big news, Jeremy, when you're dealing with a life sentence, by the way, that's, I don't have to tell you that. Yeah. And so they came back and then judge or the, my lawyer was like, Hey, they want to do 20 years. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do 20, you know? Then they said 14. Then, uh, he says, you already did. I think I've done four, maybe four or five years now. And so he's in like, the maximum. Hey. Yeah. So he's like, you ain't got much longer to do. So if you take 14 years or you'll be out soon. And I'm like, well, it's better than nothing. I said, uh, I said, I don't want to do 14. I said, give me 10. You know, he goes, I, I can try it. And so he went in there and tried it. Then, uh, the judge was like, well, I mean, I can, I could grant you the 10 years, but then the prosecutor would appeal that a sentence. Then I guess it would go to a higher court. Then they would decide. And that lawyer I had said, if the higher court decides, they're going to go with whatever. The higher the sentence because they're with the prosecutors, right? Yeah. So my lawyer said 14 years. And I said, okay, I could do that. So I ended up getting resentenced to 14 years. And then so after, after I got sentenced, then they got to ship me all the way back to 
Kentucky. And you've done five years at a maximum. Uh, are you getting along okay in there at a maximum? Yeah, yeah. I got there, you know, with lockdown, you know, pretty much a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I never read or nothing. So there's the maximum. They got, they have a, quite a few programs there, you know. They right. had a good leather shop, you know, you could crochet, you could paint. Yeah, they just have they got a lot more programs because people are going to be there a lot longer. I, that's one of the things that's different about lows, mediums, and maximums. They put a lot more programs in there because people are there for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah and they had you know, they had a pool table there. They had a. Do you ever see bowling. anything bad happen? Oh yeah, there. You know, there's always a lot of fights and stabbings. Yeah, and, gangs. Uh, stuff like that all the time. Yeah, yeah. And you were pretty much able to stay out of that mix. Yeah, I stayed. I stayed out of it pretty much. I mean, I got into a couple fights, yeah. you know, over some stuff. Yeah, with some people. But uh, it doesn't seem stupid when you're in prison. That's the weird thing. Like I, you know, somebody might get in a fight over somebody sitting in their area or their spot, and you know, you say that like on the outside. I was like, what? Why would you yeah. do that? Well, this is my spot. You know, it's just it's yeah. weird how things are different. Yeah. So, so Jeremy, okay, so you're so you you're back. Now you have a 14 year sentence. You're not in life anymore. You've got to feel like, even though you don't want to do 14 years, you've done five. So you figure you've got uh, what eight to that. I mean, that's still, and then you got 84 percent of that. So you're still what six or so. I mean, you're still talking about time. Yeah, yeah. So they took me when I went back to Macquarie. They let me back out on the compound for a couple of days. And as on a Sunday, when that counselor came back in, then I was in the hobby shop. I was in the leather shop okay. talking to all buddies. Then they, uh, then here come all these cops coming in, about six of them. Okay. And they put the compound down and they grabbed me and they said, Hey, come on, you got to go with me. And I'm like, why? And they said, we're going to take you to the shoe. And I said, why are you going to take me to the shoe? So when I got my life sentence overturned, I got that management variable taken off of me. And I got, I had camp points the whole time I was in prison, but I had that management variable, so I couldn't go nowhere. So when I got that management variable taken off of me, they wouldn't allow me to stay on the yard there at the pen because my points wasn't high enough. Okay. So I got sent to the shoe. Which is the and hole then, for those listening. Yeah, the hole. Then so the counselor came by and says, hey, look, I'm going to try just sending you straight across the street to the camp. Okay. But I don't know if they'll allow me that because you can't drop two custody levels. You can't drop no more than two custody levels at a time. So I said, okay. And she said, well, if you can't go across the street, where do you want to go? I said, anywhere closer to home. Right. You know? Right. And so uh, she put in a couple things, and I ended up going to uh, Ashland, Kentucky. Okay. I think it might have been four hours away or something. Mm-hmm. So I sat in a hole probably a couple months. A couple of months? Yeah, a couple of months before I could get I mean, Jeremy, you just kind of casually throw this stuff out there. Being in the hole a couple of months, I mean, there were guys that go to the hole for like two or three weeks and come back looking different. Yes, uh, and I'm a picky eater, and I don't I don't eat no vegetables or anything like that. So when my food would come in, 
I was picked through it. And I'm like, damn, you know, <laughs> eat a handful of stuff. Oh man. <laughs> I probably lost 20 pounds or better, you know, I bet. and so I ended up getting on a bus and they took me to Ashland and at that maximum security, you couldn't see, it was just a big octagon concrete wall. You couldn't see no trees. You couldn't see outside at all. You know, so I get on the bus and I go to Ashland and I get there and it's just a big old fence around it. And you got all the inmates out there mowing and stuff. And I'm like, damn, this is going to be nice. Yeah. These you guys know? are actually taking care of the place. The inmates are running the prison. Yeah. And so when I got there, I got off the little bus, got checked in. And again, as soon as I got there, the Mexicans came up to me thinking, and I said, hey, I can't speak Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> then white guys came and uh, said, same thing. Hey, we need to see your paperwork. What are you in here for? Mm -hmm. Then uh, I told them drugs and that. And they said, okay. Then they, they didn't really want to see paperwork. They just want to know what you're in there for. Right. Because sex offenders are there at the camp. Right. You know? So, which uh, is the bottom rung of society for the prison yeah. world. Yeah. And so after that, I got to that camp and there was no hobby craft. There wasn't nothing. They had a, a track out there. And, uh, so I'm like, man, I'm going to start running. Mm -hmm. And I tried running one lap and I couldn't do it. <laughs> Cause when I was in the security, all I would do, I learned how to crochet. Yeah. So I'd always, set and crochet and make stuff and sell it. Mm -hmm. So when I got there, I'm like, man, I'm going to try getting in shape. Mm -hmm. So I'd run that track. Then, uh, then in the office, you could check out these books. So I checked out a book on running uh, a 5k. And so I was reading it. And like I said, I don't ever read, but I picked it up and I was reading through it. And uh, it had like a 16 week program to learn to do it. So I, I did that and I got up so I could run a 5k. I'm like, damn. And so, uh, set yourself did, a goal. Uh, yeah. And prison and is a place where you kind of learn to read too. Cause there's, you know, it's kind of an escape in a way. Yeah. So I did that. Then, uh, the 10 K, then I went up to a half a marathon. Then I'm like, now I'm going to do the full marathon. Wow. So 26.2 miles. And there they had a they had a decent track that was on the outside of everything. So if you're running on the the outside track, the people walking and stuff ain't in your way. Right. It wasn't like Leavenworth where you just had a sidewalk and, and half, you know, next to the fence. There wasn't anything like that. Yeah. And I was there probably close to two years. And then uh, so I got up where I could do the marathon. It took me uh, – took me four hours and 26 minutes to run it. Wow. And and the only way you could stay on the yard. Anybody else long, do it with you, Jeremy, or is it just you? Oh, I could, no one else would do it. There's a couple other guys that was there that run 10 miles a day. Yeah. But they never would do the marathon with me. That's impressive. And the only way to, to stay out there on the yard that long is on the weekends. If you didn't go eat lunch, you could go on the yard at 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Stay all the way until they close the yard. Four o'clock. Yeah. Yep. And so the first time when I started my marathon, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it this day. So they let us out. I got to 25 miles 
then they closed the yard early. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you had to be kidding me. You had a vial and something I, to go. Yes. I, I think I had, I think three times around that track was a mile. I told that CEO, I said, hey, you know, let me be the last one off so I could finish it. And he yeah. said, nope, leave. Uh, I'm like, shh. Well, they don't mess oh. around with count. <laughs> Count's yeah. the most important and, thing they can do. Yeah. So I was like, all right. So I went in and a couple of weeks later, I went back out there. They let us out 10 o'clock and I went out and I finished it, you know, and as soon as I finished it, it was time to go in. Well, yeah, you would have had to run faster. Yeah, I got it. I got it done. I couldn't believe it. That is amazing. I lost, I weighed probably 260 when I got there. And I think when I left there, I probably weighed 210, 212. Great weight loss program. It's just hard to convince anybody to go to prison and do it. (laughs) But when I got to Leavenworth, again, there was nothing there for me, you know. So, Jeremy, tell me about coming to Leavenworth because you've been at that place for a couple of years. Uh, you're trying to get back closer to home. Uh, how, how did you get? How, how did you get yourself to Leavenworth? Uh, so I got. This is a funny thing. So when I left the prison in Ashland, they they told me, "Hey, you're going to have to get a bus and uh, go through transit and all this." And I told that counselor, "I said, hey, look, you give people furloughs." to go to a camp yeah and he said no it's too far my case manager did and i'm like no there's some other guys that's done it mm-hmm. he said no you ain't doing it so when his boss came in walking around the unit yep hollered at him i said hey look you know i'm going to leavenworth why can't i get a furlough mm-hmm. he said yeah you can god no good for gift. you good for you jeremy you stood up for yourself <laughs> right above him i love yeah. that and i said uh the counselor says, I can't do it. He goes, yeah, you can. He goes, I'll make sure of it. Then, so when it came to my time, uh, I packed out. I got me a little gray duffel bag and put my stuff in it and went down to R&D. And they uh, gave me maybe like $30, $35. And they said, we're putting you on a Greyhound. It's going to take two days to get there. Wow. Said, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> wow. So they had a camp, uh, inmate from the camp drive me to the bus station. And so I sat there at the bus station and got on the Greyhound. And so now this is probably six years in. I'm like, man, first yeah. time seeing the world again. Yeah. Yeah. So I get to, I think, somewhere in Indiana or somewhere. Then I had like a couple hour layover. So I'm like, man, I'm going to go to McDonald's. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And you're skinny now. I mean, you've been running yeah. marathons. You better eat a Big Mac, French yeah, fries, so, whatever you can get on, get yourself into. Yeah. So the McDonald's was probably three or four miles away. So I ran down to the McDonald's. Then I was looking on it. I'm like, man, where's the dollar menu? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I got. I think I got a double quarter pounder and a a strawberry shake. Yeah. It's like thirteen dollars. I didn't even get French fries. I'm like <laughs> shit. I want French fries, but I didn't want to spend all my money because I didn't know. Right. And so uh, 
I left there and ran back to the bus station. And I sat there then ended up, I had someone help me read the ticket to know what bus to get on. What year would this have been, Jeremy? Would it have been like uh, in the 2013, 14, 15, something? Probably 15 or so. Okay. Okay. And so, and uh, now I'm on the Greyhound and Gray Sweats and a Gray. Yeah, everybody knows. So everyone's looking at me funny, you know, with a a gray bag. Yeah, that guy's on a furlough. (laughs) Yeah. And so. The bus was full, and there's I had to sit next to this girl, and she was on on her phone, and I was like, "Hey, can I use your phone to call my daughter?" Mm-hmm. But then I'm like, "Damn, I don't even have her phone number." And so we tried looking her up on Facebook, and I didn't know how to do it, and we couldn't find her. How old would your daughter and, have but, been, uh, Jeremy? Uh, she's 21 now, so. So she'd been a teenager, and when would have yeah. been the last time you saw her? Man. Because you were a long ways away in Kentucky. Long way away. She never did come up there. The first time I saw her was uh, when I got to Leavenworth. Okay. So four, six, That's six, a long years. time. That's a long time, Jeremy. Did you keep in touch by, like, uh, phone and writing and that kind of yeah. stuff? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, every week I'd call my dad, my mom, and my grandma, and my daughter. All right, so you kept you know? plugged into that. Okay, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're so on I the bus. Me. You're you're trying to get your daughter. You're looking her up on Facebook. Did you ever make a connection on that or not? No, because I, I type her name in, and it didn't come up, but she used her middle name first. Uh, and I never thought yeah, of it. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Oh, damn. <laughs> So when I got to uh, Kansas City, uh, then I had the town driver pick me up there. Right, which is a prisoner that drives the van, which is yeah. going to take you back to prison. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what? Yeah. it's always and That so always opens you up your eyes when you get picked up by the town driver, and the town driver is actually a prisoner. Yeah. And, uh, you there? Yep, I'm here, Jeremy. Okay, so then he drops me off. Okay, he dropped me off at the the big house. The Ugly looking USC place. There. Looks like Shawshank, yeah. Love more. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had to stand outside this little gate until they buzzed me in. Yeah. And so. Now we're getting familiar. In. Now we're getting familiar, Jeremy. Now I know that gate. I stood at yeah. that gate. Okay, we're 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 together now. Yeah, so I go down there and they buzz me in and I get in there and they put me in a little holding cell. Yep. Then uh they let me out and was doing the paperwork. Then they went through my little carry on bag that I had. Yeah. And I had a few dollars left. And uh I said, Put that money on my book so I'll have it. Right. He said, No. He said, that's my money. Oh, that's going back to us. What? I said, how's that your money? That's terrible. He goes, uh, we gave it to you, so that's my money. Oh, and man. Said, you know, whatever. And so he uh, dug through my duffel bag, and I think he took he took a couple things that he said I wasn't allowed to have. Yeah. And I'm like, why am I allowed to have it? You 
I had too many of them or something. I'm like, it don't make sense. It but okay. Yeah, at that point you say, oh, whatever, it doesn't make any difference. <laughs> whatever. And so after he processed me, he goes, okay, you're going to go out this door and you're going to hang a right and you're going to go down the hill to that little building down there and that's where you're going to go into. And I said, okay. So I walked out the door and I walked down the hill and I walked into the camp. And I think they were serving food at that time. So I go through the front door and the CEO was right there. I said, hey, where do I need to go? Well, you need to go down to laundry, get some clothes, then they'll tell you where to go. I said, okay. So I went down there. No, I think I went eight first, then went down to laundry and got some clothes. Then uh, I ended up in C unit. Okay. Not bad. Not bad. C2 is not bad. Yeah, Better than A2. Bad. It was a it was a big open dorm, yeah. you know. Do- so a big open dorm, bunk beds everywhere, bathroom in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. So I wasn't used to, you know, the open area. Yeah. You to sleep in, so I got a little uh, taking time to get used to, you know, but. But it didn't turn out too bad. Jeremy, you know, did you Jeremy, did you know anybody at Leavenworth when you rolled in? No, I didn't. Nobody know was nobody. familiar. You were all new. Huh? You flat out yeah. new. Okay. <laughs> so so yeah. then uh you're closer to home, so I'm assuming that you can make contact with your family and they can visit you. Yeah. So I got I guess they I guess when you get transferred to prison to prison. I guess your visitors stay on your visiting list. Yeah. So uh, when I got there, the first time my mom came up, and when I went out to visit, I was like, man, you just walk out the front door of the prison to this little shed, little shack, visiting Mm -hmm. room. Yeah. And you just, your ID, and you just sit there, or you can go outside. And I'm like, man, this is weird, you know. <laughs> After you've been in a maximum. Every time I went to visit, you'd have to go in this little room. You'd have to strip down naked. Yeah. Walk and cough. And yeah. Put a little jumpsuit on. Uh-huh. Then you'd have to go to the table, and your assigned table, and that's where you sit. Yeah. And here, you just walk out there and hand them an ID and go outside and do whatever. So I was like, man, this is freedom. You yeah, know, I thought, that had to be great, Jeremy, after everything you'd been through. To, to be able to have a yeah. visit and feel like, you know, like yourself and actually be able to walk outside, sit at the picnic table, go back in. Yeah, yeah. I can see that just being fantastic, even though you're still in prison. Totally different. Yeah. 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 So when did you see your daughter? I think I was there, I don't know, maybe. I might have been there six months or so. Yeah. Then she ended up up with my dad and uh, my grandma. That had to be a I hell of a reunion, uh, Jer- Jeremy. Yeah. She was at the vending machine at first. So when I walked in, you know, my dad and his wife was there. Then my daughter came through and I didn't even recognize her. You know, I'm like, man, Unbelievable. Down, I, yeah. I was like, man, this don't even look like her. You know, Cause when I left, she was, you know, a little baby, yeah. you know, I think, maybe eight or something. Wow. Yeah. So, so Jeremy, I know that had to have been like just 
to be able to make that connection again after everything you'd been through and, and get with your family and see your daughter. I mean, what was that like? It was nice, you know. I think they stayed there pretty much all day. Yeah. You know, so it was good seeing them all. You know, that was the first time I seen my dad too, because he never he never came up when I was in Kentucky. So I mean, we're, I mean, we're, and we're talking about that probably at this point. Are we talking eight years have gone by? Five, six. six or seven years. Yeah, I mean that's a yep. long time, long time. Yeah, man, yeah. man. Okay, so at Leavenworth, what what uh, did you job? Did you what kind of job did you do there? Uh, you good with your I hands? There, when I first got there, I became a, a orderly in C two. Okay, we love those but guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a headache. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I got something else. Then uh, I left the orderly and went to uh, Unicor, and so I did Unicor for a while. I mean, for those that don't know what Unicor is, it's it's basically a factory where they bring in stuff and you take it apart, and it's kind of like a. Uh, what would you call it, Jeremy? It's 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 everybody standing in lines and taking stuff apart, and it's like an assembly line. Yeah, yeah. Just, you yeah, get paid well, like, though. Yeah, it paid pretty decent. Yeah, you know, for prison, it did. Yeah. And so after Unicor, a guy from the laundry went home, and one of the guys asked me, "Hey, do you want a job in the laundry room?" Which is a good job. Yeah, and so I said. And they said it paid, you know, $97 a month or something. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I'll do that. So I got a job down there. In an ugly basement, low ceilings, dark with a chain link fence, but it's a good job. Yeah. And, I mean, it was dirty down there. Yeah. And I ended up, you know, cleaning it up. And we uh, talked some guys in to getting us some paint, and we ended up, painting it all up. I like that. We got it, we got it looking pretty decent. That's you know? good. I like it. You cleaned it up down there. It needed a good clean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so Jeremy, tell me this. After all this time and all this stuff that's going on, you start to get close to the door, let's say six months, five months, and you finally realize you're going to be free. What's going mm-hmm. through your mind? Yeah, it was, I was supposed to get out and, uh, 2021 okay then then they passed this new law for some kind of drug deal that that would take off for nonviolent offenders or something mm-hmm. and so it knocked off 32 months that's a lot off my, yeah and so when it knocked the 32 months off i should have that put me right in the halfway house so i told that my counselor, hey, look, I just got 32 months taken off. I need out of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, you don't. I said, yeah, I need to leave and go to the halfway house. Mm-hmm. And he said, okay, I'll check on it. And he just dragged his feet. And every time I'd see him, I'd ask him. What was his oh, name? I ain't heard nothing. Oh, man. So he just didn't do anything. Yeah, they do not. Then I'm like, uh, then I had a date set to go to the halfway house. And when my date came, 
I didn't get a go. Mm. I'm like, what's the deal? Yeah, and he's like, oh, something came up. We're going to have to do it in a couple weeks later or something. And so I think it was around January 3rd. Yeah. Then I finally got to get out to go to the halfway house. Man, what a nightmare. You know, that's the thing. that It's like you're trying to get out, and they're like, okay, yeah, well, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And this is your freedom. I I meant to ask you, Jeremy, like all this time, all this time that you did and and how you've had to kind of just walk through just one thing after another, did you have any particular strategies that you used to get through it? I mean, mind-wise, what, like you said, you did the marathon thing. That was something to focus on. You sound like you kind of read some stuff and, and focused on it. Is that how you kind of went through getting through your time? Yeah, I just stay busy. Just any kind of little hustle I could do, I'd do it. You know, I never sat around and moped and did that. I always found something to do. Kept your mind, kept your mind busy. Yeah. 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 Jeremy, I want to walk into, okay, so you, you get out, you said January 3rd, who's there at the other side of the door? Uh, my mom showed up. It had to be a hell of a day, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, was- so you, so, uh, you've got so much time to get to the halfway house. Um, what's the halfway house like where you went to? It's, uh, I think it's more like a Morton building. Yeah. So when I went in there, they, uh, they said if you had a, well, the guys that was there before me, they I'd email them there in prison. They said, hey, if you got a cell phone, when you get there, you'll be able to go on like a four-hour pass to go to Walmart mm-hmm. and get So my mom had me a phone when she picked me up. So when I went into the halfway house, I said, hey, look, I got a phone here. Here it is. Here's the phone number. I'd like to get a pass to go to Walmart to get some clothes and stuff like that. Then they said, okay. So uh, they gave me a four-hour pass, and Mom picked me up. Did it feel like, did it feel like Jeremy, that you had, it had been forever since you'd been out in the real world? Yes, it was a long time. You know, a lot's changed out there. You know, so Mom picked me up. We came back to her house and got, I had some clothes here. And so I got clothes. Then uh, we ended up going out to eat somewhere and then went back to the halfway house. Then, so now they're saying that you got to fill out this paperwork to write down these job assignments, where you got to go and what time you get there, when you leave. And I'm like, how do I do this? And they said, well, you got to look it all up on your phone. I said, I don't know how to use it, you mm. know. It's a whole different my world with this called. phone, yeah. No, I didn't even know how to answer it there for the longest time. <laughs> <laughs> and so I ended up figuring out how to put addresses in it and and, and do that. So I put like four, four different places each day to get out of there. And I think I would do that. And I had to stay there so long before they approved my home plan before I could go home on the weekends. Okay. And, uh, so I'd go around looking for jobs. Then I ended up, uh, going back to the union. Yeah. And 
what I do? I went and paid, uh, reinstated my union card and uh, went and did the drug test and did all that. Then so now I was just looking for a company to hire me. Yeah. And so it was, it was kind of slow at first, but then the halfway house said, hey, you need to get you a job. You need to, you know, work at this pallet factory or whatever. And mm-hmm. I said, I ain't going to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to do something I want to do. And so I ended up uh, going back doing concrete okay. with the old I was with. He put me to work. So, Jeremy, I, I, I want to fast forward here because I think that what you've been able to do with what your story is, you have an unbelievable story of how you your resilience and determination of getting through something that very few people would give in a life sentence for being your your worst part of what happened was is that you got addicted to drugs. But you are sitting there, right, as I'm looking at you, and you're a business owner. You are a guy that has started your own business. Can you tell me about that? So cool. I got a sump grinding and a power washing business. Uh, What's the name of it so we can get it out there to everybody? uh, Jeremy's Outdoor Services. Jeremy's Outdoor Services. Can you give the the uh, phone number to that? Yeah, 816-715-1880. And that's the Kansas City metropolitan area? Yes. And so when I got out, uh, I had the sump grinder and the power washer before when I lived in Aurora. Mm-hmm. So when I was getting close to the door, I told my dad, hey, can we get that stuff going? And he said, yeah, I'll get it fixed for you. And so when I got out, my cousin brought up my power washer. Yeah. And it's a big, uh, it's a big landing commercial power washer. It's on the back of a trailer with a big old water tank on it, hot water on it and everything. And uh, so I was power washing my mom's house and on the back of the, back of the power washer, my, my dad's wife printed up power washing with my name on it, my phone number. And so when my probation officer showed up, she's like, Hey, you're running a business. I said, no, I ain't running no business. And she says, Hey, if you're running a business, you need to get your business license. And I said, well, I don't know how to do that. She goes, well, you need to figure it out. And so I called my little cousin and his wife helped me do it. And she set up. So I got my business license, got a bank account, and all that. It's awesome, Jeremy. Yeah. That's just then, awesome. Uh, and so then I had that little sump machine. Then I was grinding. I would just drive around town. If I seen a sump in the yard, I'd knock on their door. Hey, do you want your sump ground? And uh, this went on for maybe a year, year and a half. And then I saved up enough money. I bought this great big, a uh, big sump machine. Of, it cost me $30,000, but it's remote control. Wow. Because that stump grind is dirty work. Yeah. And this, this one will take, it'll take 52 inches swipe, one oh. swipe. Wow. So it is not That's a big piece down. of machinery. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I bought that. Then I bought a new enclosed trailer. And then I bought a, a flat, a one-ton flatbed truck. And I got all this stuff vinyl wrapped. You know, look at you go. I love that. Got a picture of me standing beside the stump machine 
on a big old 16 foot enclosed trailer on both sides. <laughs> and, oh. my, and my truck, it's all like camouflage with Jeremy's Outdoor Services on it. And then this week, I just went and picked it up. My other truck, I got a a crew cab four door uh, dump bed truck. I just got vinyl wrapped. It's all white with logos on the side of it. So you're all, Jeremy, you're all branded up, man. You're a marketing machine. And, you know, that is just, I mean, considering everything that you have lived through and then to come out and not stop, walk straight into creating a business uh, and then not even knowing, you know, where to go get the business license, but figuring all that out, that is just... I want to know something, though. It, out of everything you've been through, what do you think, as we sit here today, what do you appreciate the most now after you've been through all you've been through? Uh, probably a second chance in life. Yeah. 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 I mean, I hear people say, oh, they can't do it. I'm a felon. I can't get a job. I can't do that. Uh, the only reason they don't want to do it is because they don't want to put time into it and do it, you know? I got a, I'm back at Union Carpenter, you know, journeyman Union Carpenter, making $42 an hour at that job. So people say, oh, I'm a felon, I can't get a job. You can. You just go out there and do it. Man, you know, I love it. Ain't, but you just put your mind to it and kick the pavement, you're going to find something. Man, I love that, Jeremy. That's a great, I mean, that's just it's good stuff for anybody to hear. You know, yeah. just, you know, stay determined, believe in yourself. Have a plan. If you don't know the answer, find it out. But man, you have you have lived it, and I couldn't be more proud of what you've accomplished in everything that you've done. And you didn't give up in any part of it. You could have given up at any part of it, and you didn't. And it's just anything to impart to the listeners. I mean, what you just said is so powerful. I don't want to take it away from what you just said. Anything else I haven't asked you that. No, I just telling people just one foot in front of the other and just go do what you want to do, you know? Man, that's powerful. But you can get it done. Step into it. Step into it, Jeremy. Jeremy, man, thank you so much for sharing your story. This is a just I mean, it's a powerful story. Uh and and you made it. And you're here to talk yeah. about it. And you're here to share the story. I so appreciate it. I think people are going to get a lot from this. Everybody. Uh, Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. Everybody, uh, Nightmare Success In and Out. If you haven't had a chance, maybe go pick up a book, Nightmare Success In and Out. No, it's not Nightmare Success In and Out. It's Nightmare Success, my book. Uh, But Nightmare Success In and Out, everybody. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the likes. Thanks for the subscribing. Thanks for sharing. See you later.